0: Attention listeners, ahead are spoilers. If you do not want these human jerks spoiling the movie, stop the recording.
1: Hello and welcome again to The Movie Trap. Uh, You have joined us on the third and final round uh, of our uh, three-part series, as always in actors playing multiple roles. Um, if you are new to this show, quick explanation. Uh, what we do here is uh, each round of three, one for each host, we choose a topic uh, that each person picks an example of. And at the end of the round, we vote on which is the best example for it. So so to say that uh, this time we have chosen um, actors playing multiple roles. Previously, we did Dead Ringers, then we did Enemy, and now we have done Dr. Strangelove. And at the end of this round, we will vote on which of these three films is the best. And the winner, the one who chose the best movie in that category, will choose uh, the next round going forward. I should honestly just write down a succinct description and always read it off
2: of... Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll I'll pen a script for you. I'll yeah. write something up over the weekend, and I'll I'll get you something. Yeah, that yeah I could
1: do it. It's, it's fairly yeah. easy. I just have not taken the yeah. time to actually. Sure, do it. I, I sure. Guys, I,
3: think- I feel like we should put like something really difficult in there to say though, like a uh, <laughs> Sally sells seashells down by the seashore style uh, tongue twister to always get you <laughs> yeah. every week. But we'll see. Yeah. We'll see.
1: Regardless, we pick a we pick a theme. We each pick a movie, and then at the end we vote on who had the best movie from that theme. And then uh, the winner picks the next theme. This theme is multiple roles by a single actor in a movie. Chosen uh, by you. Chosen by me. I was the winner of the last round, political thrillers. And uh, yeah, uh, I am Zach Powers. Uh, As always, I am joined by Chris Boroff. Howdy, I'm
2: here as well. (laughs) And Russell Carlson. Mind fuhr, I can walk. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, before we get too deep into uh, this, was my pick uh, Doctor Strangelove in mm. actors playing multiple roles? Sure. Um, kind of the 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 basic bitch pick of the bunch. Let's be. Um. But I think we referred we, to it as the chalk
1: pick. Uh, yeah. <laughs> right.
2: Yeah. Chalk in <laughs> sports. You're right. Um. But I will also real quick the way the voting's going to go down at the end of it. Um, we each initially at the beginning of the theme have 10 initial points to vote out at the end of the theme. Mm-hmm. But throughout the throughout the round of three, we each have three points to divvy out in any way we see fit. And as it has happened, let me give you a quick run of where we are before we get into Dr. Strangelove. Um, right now, Borif has three points still to divvy out. He has been quite greedy with them, but he has received uh, two points. Uh, mm-hmm. So he has 12 points to give at this point. Zach Powers has given out two points, so he has one more point to give, and he has 11 points. And I myself, uh, Russell, have one point as well to give with 11 points. So that's the way the rundown is as of now for Dr. Strangelove, 1964. Um, Peter Sellers, yeah. George C. Scott, Stanley Cooper classic. Zach, go ahead and roll that beautiful bean footage.
1: Yeah. Uh, greedy as uh, Greedy Greedius Chris, uh, who, I'm going to go ahead and uh, Gr- do a gridious? slight spoiler. Uh, greedy as Chris. Well, I, well the well,
3: thing is, is, is it spoiler. sounds like it sounds like I'm a Star Wars character when you say that.
4: <laughs> greedy, yeah. Greedious the in, Darth, Darth Greedius, of course, is your Star Wars name. He it would be a Sith Lord. Yeah,
1: it's the street you grew up on backwards with Darth. Uh, in front of it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, No, uh, obviously he picked, I would argue, and this might be a spoiler for me, the worst movie in this round, uh, and yet has given out no points. Um, I'm sure the best way to get him to give out more is to shame him.
4: Yeah, there you go. (laughs) Pay
3: it.
2: Sometimes it works. Sometimes it works. Sometimes I mean, it, it was
3: works. a blind pick. Uh, Sometimes you stick your hand into the bag and you find something fun, and other times it's the uh, the
2: Gamjabar, Sometimes and your hands walk. on
3: fire. Yeah,
2: yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it's a piece of hot coal. Wow! <laughs> don't touch it.
1: Perhaps, uh, listener, you are uninitiated or unfamiliar with 1964's Doctor Strangelove, uh, or how I learned to stop worrying and love the bomb. Um, This is a Stanley Kubrick film, as I said, 1964. It is about Cold War paranoia and mutually assured destruction. And uh, the quick rundown is as follows. Um, One day in the mid 60s, a general named Jack D. Ripper uh, elects to uh, follow a protocol that circumnavigates the president's authority to launch nuclear bombs, um, believing that Russians have implemented a plan to taint uh, our precious bodily fluids. Um, He thinks the only way out is to destroy the Russians through uh, a premature strike, uh, a preemptive strike, I should say. And uh, so he sends out the order to his airplanes who then cut off radio communications and it quickly spirals into an international event With the president, uh, I believe his name is Milford Mumford, is that correct? Muffley. 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 Uh, Being called out uh, at the middle of the night to go to the war room, um, being advised by uh, General Buck Turgidson, played by George C. Scott. Um, They intervene with the Russian ambassador to the United States uh, and during a series of um, calls with the Russian premier and of course, also action against the rogue general Ripper um, who is trying to be talked down by a sort of British foreign exchange <laughs>
2: student. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. like an officer exchange that the allies did after the, after world war two.
1: Yeah. Who is trying yeah. to get the three word code that would end this uh, doomsday strike before it could happen. Um, obviously Russia has its own countermeasures include uh, something called project doomsday, where if a nuclear bomb goes off in Russia, uh, they will have a doomsday weapon that will essentially kill all of humanity. Um, that they were planning to tell everybody about, uh, on the following Monday. Um, So there was no foreknowledge uh, of anybody on this plan. Yeah, it's Um, the the
3: classic dead-hand switch. Dead-hand switch technology, yep. Uh,
1: So ineptly, uh, the various politicians and military folks attempt to navigate this Cuban Missile Crisis-esque problem um, with increasingly poor results. They do eventually get the three-letter code um, and attempt to call off the planes... But at least one has had uh, severe damage to its communication system and can no longer receive the three-digit code that is being uh, led by Slim Pickens uh, as Lieutenant, quote, King Kong. Um, And uh, ultimately they bring in uh, a Nazi scientist they picked up from the war as a weapons expert, (laughs) Dr. Strangelove to advise them on their next moves. Uh, Strange love seeing that the writing seems to be on the wall, advises them to go into a series of underground mines for the next hundred years. Well, they will repopulate uh, with 100 women to every one man. Um, ultimately, uh, despite a number of attempted infiltrations of this base, getting the code, failing to com- communicate with these uh, planes and the doomsday device, uh, device going off. It seems like humanity uh, has reached its end at the end of the film. Uh, <laughs> Doesn't seem like
2: they make it. <laughs>
1: yeah. A series, uh, a montage of nuclear weapons going off as all of these political figureheads in the war room argue about what the next best plan uh, for this particular situation is. Uh, the world seemingly ends uh, to Vera Lynn's uh, we'll meet again. And that is the basic, basic gist of this movie. Bare mm-hmm. bones
2: mm-hmm. of, of Dr. Yeah. Strange. I think it's one <laughs> of the important themes to capture in summarizing once the Russian ambassador get there gets there is this fervent anti-communist and to not trust anything the communists say and then by the end of the movie you shouldn't have because he's taking pictures of the big board and, and the funny part is they'd be doing that knowing full well that the world's ending anyway. It, your pictures yeah. aren't going to make it to head office. You know, Moscow station isn't going to get your report, but you yeah. still do it. And even so, the American side is there plotting about their mineshaft plan to protect their humanity after the war, and they're worried about the Russians having more minecraft. And we can't, we, we're we going to have a mine gap. Um, mm-hmm. And that is, it, it's more of the, the play on the, the paranoia of the 50s sure. when it came to And that know, also
1: co- leads into uh, Jack Ripper's Paranoia about the Russians yes. uh, yeah
2: Poisoning the water yeah. In the United Asian, States yep. uh, Floridation our- yeah. is still yeah. a conspiracy yeah. To this day Yeah, yeah Could they- you imagine a QAnon Jack D. Ripper like I mean, what would that even look like? That they're gonna go bomb like a Pizza Hutter for all the well, you know, um,
3: like that's it, it's that
2: kind of conspiracy. They like thinking. Russia more, probably.
1: Probably
3: <laughs> fucking true. I know there've been some situations in the past where there have been near misses with nuclear annihilation like this. Um, there was one yeah. where like a flock of birds flew over, and just one guy decided not to send a retaliatory uh, missile strike from Russia. And uh, I think yeah, he was later given, like... Yeah, I think given, that came like,
1: out years yeah. later. Yeah, yeah, uh, years this later. This was probably inspired by the Cuban Missile Crisis.
3: Well, um, it was from yeah, 1954. I mean, it, um, this was... 64. Hold on. Uh, it was this based off the book, Red Alert. It was based off the, the book, book, Red, Red Alert. Alert, from 1958. So it it got heavily adapted. Oh, okay. So it most likely is based off things that were current because the book wasn't a black comedy. Uh, the book was just straightforward. Well,
1: well, let's let's yeah. be clear. Like Stanley Kubrick, if he's known for one thing, he adapts things and then makes them his own. That's very famous in The Shining, where mm-hmm. Stephen King was not a big fan of his final interpretation of that sure. film.
2: Sure, but yeah, um, yeah. But more so with this one. I mean, when he, uh, from what I read, uh, Kubrick initially did start out reading. Uh, Red Alert by Peter George Wanting to do it seriously Like kind of wanting to do A serious drama About this but while researching A lot of stuff He couldn't help but just see like how Funny and ridiculous it all is And then he hired Terry Southern um to sort of write it and then it just sort of morphed into economy now which the 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 novel writer has sort of distanced himself from the movie although he was hired to write the novelization of the movie um it which he basically just copy and pasted his own <laughs> book wait, with wait and, he got and, hired to do a also, novelization I mean,
3: and, of the movie based off his book that's really weird yeah
2: yeah in that in that weird yeah right you know so terry there's pretty much kubrick terry mm-hmm. southern and and Peter George um it's also worth noting that uh before this movie came out uh there was another book that came out around the same time as Red Alert was Fail Safe. Um I I can't remember who wrote Fail Safe but Peter George actually sued the publishers of Fail Safe for ripping off of Red Alert. Uh they settled out of court but Fail Safe was still published but um it's funny because later on and Kubrick's Making Dark Safe*. the movie is being made by Sidney Lumet and, and Henry Fonda. So, mm. P- Sid, uh, Kubrick didn't want to compete with it because he thought that, like, you've got Sidney Lumet, a claim director, and and, and, and Henry Fonda. This is going to kill us in the box office. Um, So, he decided to sue Failsafe, saying that they're off without knowing that they're doing it. And it worked. <laughs> this movie came out before Failsafe. I had always thought that Dr. Strange was more or less a spoof of Sailface, but apparently not true. Well, I've heard uh, that I've heard yeah, that in the I, past.
3: They, were, they thought it was weird that he was so insistent on coming out first because most of them were arguing, well, you can do the serious one, and then you can do the funny one. However, I would argue that politically speaking, it was probably better to do the funny one first so that people didn't get the wrong impression of uh, nuclearization. Um, It's uh, pretty amazing that it's a pitch black comedy and then it's directed by uh, Stanley Kubrick because he's not really a funny guy. Not a lot of comedy
1: in his Uh, movies. This is probably his goofiest film. And in fact, this version of the movie is somewhat less goofy than the movie he even envisioned originally. Uh, Didn't the original one have like aliens Uh, in it or something?
2: That was one, I don't know that was a draft of it. There was a draft of the script, hmm. but I mean the there original were, uh, ending was a pie fight. Yes. Oh, uh, that's uh, right. so
1: in the original ending, there's a big pie fight in the war room, where the Russian ambassador tries to hit George C. Scott's uh, General Turgidson. Lots of very good names in this movie, by uh-huh. the way. Um, uh, and Turgidson attempts to fire back. The ambassador misses and he hits the president and talks about the president being cut down in his prime. Now that was filmed before John F. Kennedy was killed, uh, by Lee Harvey Oswald, uh, controversial statement, I guess. But again, this is a movie <laughs> about conspiracy theories. Um, uh, and so ultimately they changed the ending, I think probably for the better. I think I th- for the better. I, yeah. Cooper
2: going said it had nothing to do with JFK. We'll never really know. But I, 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 it does bring the point. I always thought this when when he died before Eyes Wide Shut was released. I read really, if he would have changed the ending because he did do this a lot. Like he would watch a movie and say, "Fuck this, we need to go back and do it again." Because it's see he he said the pie fight was too farcical um, for the sort of pitch black comedy he was trying to uh, trying to do. Yeah, I think well, that's uh, interesting the, the, because
3: uh, everybody same- with. AI, I think, was the same thing. Like, people really, really, really wish that AI had just ended with the kid uh, and the blue fairy not going on for another 15 and minutes the, with aliens. Yeah. So, yeah, I that's a valid question. I wonder if he would have changed it. Yeah. And other people,
1: you know, even within the production of the film, there's a fairly famous uh, anecdote, I believe, that uh, George C. Scott's entire performance um, <laughs> was... Uh, Kubrick saying do it to the bleachers, do it as big as you can before it's we do the real take. rehearsal take, we're
2: just gonna, you know get off the cobwebs, George, we're just gonna you know, have yeah. some fun with it, just a <laughs> kind of exercise Right,
1: so he told George C. Scott to do, like, the <laughs> biggest broadest version of this character he possibly can do, telling him, like, this is the rehearsal take, we just want to do the big version so we can do the more grounded one after uh, and then obviously he used all of the huge big yep. takes that mm-hmm. George C. Scott did, George C. Scott resolved to never work with Stanley Kubrick again. After that,
2: <laughs> George um, C. Scott was anything, was, it was he was a lot of things, but he was definitely principled. Um, he uh, I, I, I think it worked. I mean, you've got to hand it to Cooper. This is the genius of Kubrick. He knew how to handle Peter Sellers, even you know, because Peter Sellers, it should be mentioned, uh, the president. Dr. Strangelove and, uh, Mandrake, Mm Jim Ripper's little, uh, the the British exchange student or whatever are (laughs) all played by Peter Sellers. Um, Peter Sellers is known to be a pain in the ass on set. He's, he's famous for it. Um, so part of how Kubrick was able to wrangle him was to shoot multiple cameras for one take because... Kubrick would fight him all through Lolita, even fought him through this about doing multiple takes. Uh, uh, so, Sellers, he just finally just started filming most of Dr. Strangelove's dialogue, is just Sellers just riffing. Um, so, he knew how to do that and also how to manage George C. Scott, knowing that George C. Scott is a very serious actor and takes things very seriously, going to play it as straight as possible while still allowing him to think that he's doing that while knowing all along he's gonna use these, these bullshit takes that's a skilled director that's a guy and who knows how to it, run a set I've, it that's, is that's genius also,
3: it is also a cheat like he definitely did the thing that makes sense oh for sense, sure but oh, it's yeah. totally a cheat yeah.
2: I get why George C. Scott was upset I do I understand mm-hmm. it Um, but I would say for the output of the movie it fucking worked and he nailed it I mean he's as funny as Peter Sellers and you wouldn't think yeah. of George C. Scott as being a comedic actor and yeah. this is
1: compared to the stories about what Kubrick did to Shelley Duvall on the side of the Shining uh, this is like nothing it's like who gives a fuck yeah I mean, he's a little, little manipulative like, yeah you, you pulled an April fools on a the dude Dr. Strangelove
2: like, is almost the beginning of like Kubrick's sort of madness almost like it is it's like the beginning of an era because before that it was like Spartacus and paths of glory and stuff although paths of glory is I think Oh, uh, oh I'll play that later but um, yeah he's he's kind of famous for for kind of making his a meat grinder when it comes to actors you know what sucks
3: yeah well he's very yeah, demanding well. uh that was the strange thing like i think uh sydney sydney pollack was in uh eyes wide shut for wh- sh- yeah for one scene it should have been like a real quick in and out one day thing it took him like two or three weeks because stanley kubrick kept working the scene changing it working the scene changing it and it just took forever to get the exactness down. So it's one of the things that with this one, I was just wondering myself, like how crazy that must've been knowing that he's like such a perfectionist and so like obsessive about getting what he wants. But you're dealing with like improv performers. And uh, you know, George C. Scott. Uh, Sellers. Yeah, well with I Peter Sellers, it's... but even like George C. Scott, you know, he's probably a guy who's a professional actor, you're... probably wanted to bring some of himself to this part. So by having that kind of change up was probably a surprise to him. But it's just fascinating to see that But i think
1: mesh it's it's beyond like obviously this is a guy who does a lot of a lot of takes over and over and over again he's famous for that but with the caveat that i think that he also very intentionally like russell said treats actors differently uh going back to the shining briefly like they say that he was extremely kind and like uh you know um sycophantic to Jack Nicholson in that movie. Like he Hmm. appeased his ego at every turn while he degraded Shelley Duvall because he wanted those two people to be in those spaces. Like that's the story that I've heard pretty consistently about that movie. And I think he did the same thing in a lot of his movies. I think it was like a psychological feeling of how they felt on set.
2: For sure. And especially this one, I mean, because Sellers almost, I mean, because there was a lot of pressure on Peter Sellers for this movie. I mean, the studio only gave Kubrick the backing if Sellers would play four roles. And Sellers was originally supposed to play Slim Pickens role, but he sprained his ankle and couldn't sit in the cockpit, I guess. Um,
3: But is that why Dr. Strangelove is in a wheelchair? Was it because he couldn't walk?
2: Unclear. I have okay. no idea. I, that may have always been the plan. I don't know. It's likely. I mean, I I, I wouldn't rule it out, um, you know, because Sellers was also famous of signing up, being really pri- excited for a movie, and then getting on set and never wanting to have anything to do with the movie and doing everything he could to get fired. <laughs> um, it, like, he was kind of famous for that. So so Kubrick knew how to, I'll, I'll just let him go to his trailer, you know, and he could have his little temper tantrum, and I'll play chess with George C. Scott in between texts just to keep him on a level that of calmness and sophistication that I kind of need him to be in this particular headspace. Um, all the meantime, I'm just bluffing and lying to him. He even bluffed and lied to him about the chess set. Cause he even told him like, Oh, I don't play chess very often. He played chess his whole life. <laughs> uh, you know, like it, it's it Kubrick. And that's why I want to ask you guys, I kind of, I'm kind of going to steal this uh, outright steal this game from this hockey podcast. I listened to called overrated, underrated. Um, I, I'm guessing you guys are fairly familiar with the Kubrick filmography. Um, So here we go Um, Overrated Kubrick films Overrated Underrated Favorite Least favorite Go What's an overrated Kubrick movie An underrated Kubrick movie Your favorite Kubrick movie And your least favorite Kubrick movie I'm gonna start with my overrated And say Spartacus I think that's Entirely overrated
3: It's actually been so long Since I've seen Spartacus Uh, I don't remember it But I'll say maybe Barry Lyndon because people go crazy over the camera work, but the movie itself is a little slow. It's a little slow.
2: Okay.
1: Okay. Okay. Uh, Well, uh, possibly the only one here. I don't know. Um, I suspect I've seen maybe half of the movies Kubrick has made. Okay. Tops. So, like, uh, you know, I've seen... Clockwork Orange, Full Metal Jacket, this, The Shining, Eyes Wide Shut, way back in the day. Um, and most of those I have not re-watched any time recently. Uh, the only one I watch with regularity is The Shining. I think The Shining is kind of the best horror movie ever made, so... Mm-hmm. Sure. That's gonna be... Well, I a think bit we know what the favorite is. <laughs> yeah. Um... Yeah, I've never seen, like, Lolita. Uh, I've never seen Barry Lyndon. I've never seen The Duelist. I've never seen Paths of Glory. Never seen Sparks. Oh, Sparkles. man. Um, yeah, uh, or The Killers. Like, he, that was his first movie? The killing. Yeah. the killing. Yeah, The Killing.
4: Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, yeah I've seen a few of the big hits, but uh, and they're all quite good. I don't think any of them are necessarily... Heavily overrated, but I've also only seen the ones that are pretty good. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah,
3: I would actually say the similar Eyes Wide thing for
1: Shut, me. It was the one that I I don't really give a fuck about Eyes Wide Shut.
2: Well, yeah. I think that's pretty much probably going to be the across the board least favorite. Right? Is yeah. Eyes Wide Shut? Because I I I remember I'll never my There's a couple of high school friends who will never forgive me for recommending that movie because i kind of liked it even though i was i was young at the time so i thought the fact that i didn't really understand the ending meant that that was what made it good and then i watched david lynch and realized i didn't know what the fuck i was talking about <laughs> um but the um uh, so they'll never forget i told them to watch it and they watched it and they hated it well eyes wide shut definitely i'd say that is i you know i take
3: it back barry lyndon has some stuff eyes wide shut is probably overrated
2: uh underrated I think it's rated exactly where it needs to be i think, I think it's pretty universally like people talk about it a lot desirable. i mean i don't know people yeah, people reference I, I, it i a think lot. it's rated exactly where it is
1: um, yeah <laughs> it turned yeah. Into memes. There's orgies in it so people are going to yeah. talk about it you put an orgy in a movie people are going to talk about
2: it. well apparently it's what caused the the schism between nicole kidman tom cruise and the church of scientology mm-hmm. apparently um well, That's a different story for a different day. As far as underrated, but I will say underrated is Barry Lyndon. I think you're crazy. I think you're. I think Barry Lyndon's wholly underrated. I, I, I you know, everybody talks about like Paths of Glory and Spartacus, but I think that movie is awesome. I, I need to
3: rewatch. I that I understand that it's slow. At one point, I watched all of those movies, and the thing is, is that I realized that the reason you don't hear about the other ones is because there's usually something in them that isn't that fun that bothers people so like lolita Mm -hmm. it's of course the storyline bothers a lot of people it's
1: lolita and also I my understanding again I I haven't seen it Uh, I think there uh, are legit from what I've read legitimate criticisms about how that adapts the novel I don't know if you guys have read the novel but uh, like even the salacious poster is Nabokov was very open about when he wrote lolita like I don't want a young girl to ever be on the cover of this book because it is not about the fetish. This is about this guy's psychotic nature. It is not about fetishizing young women. Like he was clear about what he was writing about. And I think Kubrick's movie, especially that poster with the heart sunglasses Mm -hmm. is a big source of why that book is regarded as like, well, Lolita was the one who was drawing Humbert in. Like, I think that that is...
2: Yeah, there's a... I haven't seen the movie,
1: so I can't uh, say with confidence, but it feels to me
2: like that's the case. They have some sequences... I mean, certainly, like, Clockwork Orange, too.
3: Well, they had sequences in Lolita that definitely, like, like feed into what you were saying, because it was, uh... I think there's a sequence in which she has a sucker or something. It's very uncomfortable. It's one of those movies that it's just extremely uncomfortable, and not uncomfortable in the way that, like, um... Full Metal Jacket was uncomfortable because Full Metal Jacket was like unvarnished racism and abruptness that was like you could believe that that existed because of the time period and where those guys were. Um It didn't make it better. Uh, but the thing is, is like Lolita seemed to not really criticize that part of his it, nature very much, and it was uncomfortable.
1: Well, even, even Full Metal Jacket, the most famous part of that movie is not so much when they're at war. It's the part when they're
2: at The boot camp, boot camp, yeah, but yeah, yeah. I I think that's probably fair, and and that's why I mean, unlike you know, and then two thousand one, everybody's uncomfortable because they don't know what the hell is happening. Um, Yeah, (laughs) I'd say (laughs) least uh, under. Well,
3: Um, oh, hold on, 2001's my favorite, but I would say underrated. I have an underrated one. I'll say that the killing is underrated. Okay, the the killing has a really that's fair. It has a really tight clock at the end when they're like they set up the they set the trap. It starts going. I remember there was a sequence at the end where the clock really ticking and it kind of like communicates the nature of the scam and what could or couldn't happen. But it's still just like a pretty straightforward like crime film.
2: My my brother and I played this game and, and, and I've kind of tied with my underrated being Barry Lidded, the other one being Paths of Glory. I think that that movie gets looked over because of Spartacus because they're so close together. Uh, I, th- I think Paths of Glory is is by far Kirk Douglas's best movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I I love that fucking movie. Um, my favorite, I, I think I got to go with my favorite probably being, it's probably got to be A Clockwork Orange, what got me into the dance. Uh, and it's probably just because based off of my teenage need to rebel because my mom absolutely loathes Stanley Kubrick and especially A Clockwork Orange. <laughs> I have uh, no My idea. mom was not one for... Banning things from me, but Clockwork Orange was one of it. But because it was Fair Putin, I immediately said, Well, this is a movie I gotta fucking watch. I watched it. I loved it. I was Alex for Halloween when I was a freshman. Um, that's probably, <laughs> I gotta, that's just probably, I mean, it's a problematic movie and, and it's not really faithful to the book. Shocking. Um, but it, 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 I love the whole style. I love soundtrack, kicks fucking ass. Um, Malcolm McDowell is absolutely terrifying. I love that movie. 2001
3: still stands up that's the one thing I'll I say it. about it I get like, it that's a tough visually... movie to watch though that's a, well, yeah, so okay so Barry
2: Lyndon's too slow for you Barry Lyndon's too slow but 2001 well they're answering
3: okay. they're answering different questions like Barry Lyndon's big question is when is he gonna take responsibility uh, for his kid
1: or, uh, this might be a crazy idea <laughs> at a certain point I do think maybe we should talk about Dr. Strangelove well, <laughs> Yeah, I mean because Dr. Yeah. Strangelove's
2: probably my favorite outside of Clockwork Orange. this is my one of my favorite Kubrick movies bar none Dr. Strangelove I really can't find anything wrong with this movie i love this fucking movie
3: um, why did peter sellers play so many parts you said it was because the studio just wanted more peter sellers
2: yeah uh, because in lolita he uh, his character goes through a couple disguises and it, lolita did really well and the studio thought it did really well because of peter sellers mm. he assumed and peter sellers also, did another movie, I think, with Julie Andrews or something, directed by Blake Edwards, where he plays a bunch of characters. It's sort of his thing. I mean, he was a, it huh. was you know, in the Goon well, Show well, when he was doing radio uh, in in the fifties. You know, that's sort of his I, shtick.
1: I think he's exceptionally. He does a great job in uh, every role he has in this film. Um, Shannon uh, legitimately did not recognize him as the president. <laughs> like until i me mentioned too. until i mentioned that yeah that's peter sellers she was like oh yeah. yeah she did not understand that that was one of the roles he was playing that's fine. um yeah so yeah uh, also I, with I, slightly just a, a very brief offshoot uh uh, it reminds me a little bit of Apocalypse Now with Larry Fishburne, but this is a very early role for James Earl Jones. Mm-hmm.
2: I think it's one of his first. Yeah. I think he yeah. mainly did play work. Zach, I think uh, that, um... Zach, you get my
3: point because that's something that has always stuck out to me Ooh. when I'm watching. I'm always like, hey, it's Darth Vader as a child. And then,
4: All you know, right.
3: it's always surprised me Plus when I see it because it was Earl a Jones. lot earlier.
2: James Earl Jones, one point for Zach Powers. Bonus
3: point! <laughs> Great. I think he was kind of known at the time for various other
2: roles. I think he might have done... I think he was like That's Shakespeare. It. I think Kubrick saw him in, like, The Merchant of Venice or some shit and was really impressed with him. Um, yeah, I, you know, I, I mean, he's kind of the engine that 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 drives this movie. I say that a lot and really is. Um, even though he's kind of barely in it and none of his characters outside of Mandrake really do anything of actual consequence um you know like the, the only one who does anything that matters is Slim Pickett um yeah. you know he he's the guy and
1: Jack Jack D. Oh, Ripper oh yeah Sterling Hayden who, who we should
2: say Sterling Hayden came out of retirement who Kubrick used all the way back in the killing um to do this movie and, and it should also be noted just Sterling Sterling Hayden was a card carrying communist member I mean he was not Jack, D, he knew how to play <laughs> really? this, you know, John Burt. Yeah. yeah. Wow. I didn't know that either. Yeah. yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, so I wonder why he retired. Um, he, uh, yeah, there. So he knew how to play like these John Birch society, you know, crackpots, um, you know, who, again, the, the comic, the kind of scary, but funny notion is that like, what makes you think that isn't true? That there's people with actual power, that believes some well, fucking th- crazy shit.
1: This is an important thing to note. I, I, this movie is, I think, more effective today than it would have been five years ago, in many regards. Uh, yeah, uh, hmm. the 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 absolutely crack pottery of Ripper's ideology about like. Stealing our <laughs> bodily fluids. <laughs>
2: the fluoridation of the um, That's a real yeah. conspiracy theory that the John It Bertson is, Society like it is And Like
1: we have people who are going to Congress and are in Congress now who believe in QAnon shit. Mm-hmm. Um we also also like the the degree to which um the safeguards that government has against extreme calamity being paper thin and if somebody just somebody like Jack D. Ripper is like, I'm just gonna ignore these procedures and then it will yeah. actually fall apart. Like that is relevant in the Trump era. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think that uh Yeah it's a weird Donald weak link. Trump yeah. Donald Trump just said, actually I'm just gonna ignore mm. precedent. And a lot of what he ignored, it just fell over when he decided
2: to ignore it. Yeah. And, and, and even more alarming is that even when we remove the human out of it is the, the Soviet version of the doomsday machine, you know, yeah. where I mean, they, they you know, at the, the president begs the ambassador, can't you turn it off? And he says, no, we, no sane person should have the ability to wield this. That's why we made it automatic. I'm like, well, okay, you you lost it right there. No sane person would do this. So, so we thought we'd do it automatically. We just thought we'd do it
1: right away. The bureaucracy aspect of this is, is I think, going to be evergreen for all. Like, there's so many things, uh, like, Dr. Strangelove talks about this theoretical doomsday device that the Russians have made and being like, but the entire point of it falls apart if you don't tell other people you have it. And the ambassador's like, we were going to announce it on Monday.
2: <laughs> right. <laughs> I know. It's just, uh, it, uh, I, I, brought this, I brought this up when we did it back in the film concussion days, but uh, <laughs> uh, like, there hasn't been a political black comedy like Dr. Strangelove. The closest one to come to that has been The Thick of It. Um, yeah, or I would, or uh, I would In say, The Loop, really. I would say Death um, of And I think Iannucci... Yeah, I I think you yeah. took a lot from this movie. Yeah, Strange Love. I and, and it's like it, and it's not, not like they're different anxieties, right? We don't we don't have the nuclear war no. anxieties that this audience had when this movie came out. But we also have a very keen understanding, and this movie very much highlights of how things happen on accident <laughs> that just yeah. the ineptitude of people is enough to cause a monumental catastrophe. Yeah.
1: That the people in charge are extremely fallible and stupid and have a very simple base. wants. turgid sin, like both, he mostly wants to uh, have some glory and get fucked. Like that's his whole yeah. character.
2: It, and- it is. It's the, the agony, the agony and the ecstasy of the cold war. Because I, I, I was reading about how this movie is actually about sex, and you kind of get this orgasmic kind of turned on feeling whenever Buck turns talks about taking it to the Ruskies. Um, yeah, like know. it's it's. I mean, there the is opening that kind sequence. Of base instinct.
3: The opening sequence is pretty on the nose. With the the oh, in yeah. air refilling, refueling of the yeah. plane. Yeah, it's very sexy. And um, and,
1: and, and I'll, I'll say this: like uh, the president in this film is. Fine. Like, as a president, he is not bad. He does what he's trying. Like, he declassifies things to stop this nuclear annihilation. He's just, he can't do anything. He's ineffectual at the end of the Uh day, despite being the president of the United States. Like, he got circumvented in the call to do this. He can't do anything to stop it. He's doing his best, but ultimately, like, that position is just... It's not enough to to make a difference.
3: Dude, well, it's and, it's it's hilarious because it, it brings up in pretty sharp contrast the fact that like all these people believe that a, a conspiracy exists, but then you see how government is actually functioning, and it's like there's no conspiracy. Yeah. There's there's yeah, no, it's nothing but no. malfeasance and dumb people. Yeah. They don't and, know what and they're and doing.
1: Not only not only the US president, but even though he doesn't appear on screen, Mm -hmm. the Russian premier is drunk. And frequently has his feelings hurt. Like he's often clearly like the president is trying to be like, I didn't intend to insult it's you, so Dimitri. Good. Dimitri, I didn't. This wasn't. It's, of course, I like I know, talking to of you. Course, <laughs> of course, of course, I would call you just to say hello. Well,
2: look, Dmitri, there's just no point in getting hysterical. <laughs> it like it, it is. I I that. The president comedy, the way Sellers does it, it reminds me a lot of Bob Newhart's comedy where a lot of the power is you're making up the other end of the conversation in your own head. And -hmm. that's what makes it funny where it even he even does like the stuttering that that Newhart. "Uh, Hello, Dimitri. Hello. You know, it's it's very Midwestern boring accountant, guy who has been elevated four or five times level above <laughs> his competency. Um, yeah. you know, like it is it's 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 a comedy of errors. You know, yeah. and that's you're right that if you think that it is possible for such a grand conspiracy to go off without a hitch completely in secret. Uh, I've got some bad news for you. (laughs) Like you're giving these people good news. I I mean,
1: (laughs) like the, the matter is, yeah, I think people are, are very, they want to believe that the, uh, with very rare exception, like they want to believe that the people in charge are like extremely malevolent or extremely benevolent or very competent or like uh well, usually very competent. Um the idea that Trump is competent is laughable. There's <laughs> of people who think that <laughs> there's a lot of people who think that he's malevolent Alrighty. and yeah. competent or benevolent and competent. And it's like no, he's he's neither of those. Oh. Obama was somewhat competent, but he was neither greatly benevolent nor greatly malevolent.
2: Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and it, it and that's why it it's funny that this movie still stands up, um, because it's it's still the state of geopolitics is still in this state of madness. I mean, we're yeah. outside of the Cold War era. We're but yeah, we're still stockpiling nukes. I think the, the the funny part about this movie, I say funny, you know, loosely, but that like we're talking about how many bombs they have, right? But we all know it only takes one. You yeah, really only like, need yeah. one bomb. Um, it doesn't
1: matter if you have enough bombs to destroy the world forty times. You just right. need enough bombs to <laughs> you know, do it once.
2: What? That's like, all you
1: that's need. It. The rest
2: are pointless. <laughs> right. Yeah. So that's it. It's sort of it's a stroke of genius that Kubrick was doing a bunch of research about this and said this is ridiculous. Like this is insane. Uh, this has to be a comedy. It's a stroke of genius, mm-hmm. you know, like and 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 even the fact that uh you know turning it into a pie scene, I could see in the writing room that would be funnier in your head, but changing it to just the world ending with but, yes, Kubrick think, stand, uh, uh, with with Sellers standing up saying mind Fuhrer, I can walk, that's a far more powerful and I
1: think yeah, mm-hmm. ending. There's, there's two things, like the pie scene, I get it. It's like the absolute like if you're writing a sketch, that's where the sketch ends. Like if you are doing a sketch about the incompetence and the bureaucracy and the infighting and the stupidity of how geopolitical politics works, like obviously you end with a Three Stooges custard fight. But I actually think that the ending is so much stronger because it it ends with them arguing about the mineshaft <laughs> gap while the bombs go off and they all die,
2: mm-hmm. there's a
1: uh, and that's just, uh that's a much stronger statement. Uh, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. There's a there's an old there's a Citizen Fish punk rock song called World War Four, and it's all about that. That even after a post world apocalypse, we are still going to fight each other with sticks and rocks um you know and well there's a famous quote yeah. the, yeah.
1: I, I don't know who it's attributed einstein. to but it's i don't yeah einstein i don't know with what weapons world war three will be fought but world war four will be fought with sticks and stones or something of that nature. yeah
2: yeah uh, do you guys worry that you know even though this threat is still very much prevalent our generation doesn't seem to have that anxiety that they did. Is that just because they're oh, closer to when it actually came off or no, is it no, because uh, we no. just, we, the cold war did, we assumed oh, all conflict resolved. I think,
1: I think, I think uh, the conflict of, I think that we have as a world largely decreased, like in our danger of a nuclear Armageddon because we're probably going to die of global warming so we just have a different we just have a different slower rolling
4: slow
2: motion holocaust it's really slow we're all doomed we all still know we're
1: doomed and in fact are probably more certainly doomed than the past generation
2: that's yeah. That's true. We've been blaming we've been blaming nuclear war, but it's gonna be the Koch brothers. Yeah. Um that's gonna be the idea. I of mean, us. the thing is is um, it will
3: probably always be something that we didn't see coming. Like, I don't think anybody would have perceived that we would all have to hide out from COVID. Like, stuff happens and you never know what's gonna happen until it's occurred, and I, then I, suddenly it I'd changes the a, whole world.
1: I take a I take a slight disagreement with that. I think the idea that there would be a pandemic or something of that nature is eminently predictable. It happens every hundred years or so, like clockwork. It's just that people forget that it happens.
3: That's what I mean. It's more that people become complacent and forget that it exists, so it stops being the thing people would assume would kill them. Uh, But yeah, I mean, nuclear nuclear holocaust is still very possible um, we still have a number of rogue nations that are into it we have sure. a number of nations that act rogue at times like uh, America that are still into having nukes so yeah it's a very strange I uh, I was always scared of that in my, uh, in my youth because I could always hear the alarms going off um, we had like uh, air raid sirens in uh, Indiana that for some reason they just wanted to keep playing uh, I have never figured out why the local mm. uh, the local fire department just kept playing their it's, air raid sirens.
1: I'm about, I don't know, I'm, I'm a bit younger than, than, than you, Chris, but certainly for me, it's always been... At this point, part of me feels like uh, nuclear annihilation would be much cleaner and easier than what yeah. we're probably going to be going yeah. through for the next 50 years. Yeah. Uh, I, which is I, slow water wars and coastlines rising and... Mass immigration yep. and homeless—it's going to be, in my opinion,
2: quite rough. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I think more Mad Max. uh um, yeah. You know, it's I I I part of me thinks that Doctor Strangelove, the the character, kind of has a point that, from my understanding of geopolitics, it is the point of having a nuclear bomb not necessarily to use it, of course, but it is. to yeah. say that you have it. You just say that you have it, then everyone's going to leave 100%. you alone because that's historically how it's gone. Yeah, Exhibit gone. A, uh, North Korea. Exhibit A, North mm-hmm. Korea. You could do Exhibit A, .1 Iran. You know, like, there's yeah. a bunch, a bunch of out there. I mean, like, when when Pakistan got the bomb, um, like, that. that's pretty scary, too. So, like, it, it is, there is this notion that part of the reason we don't want other countries to become nuclear is because once they become nuclear, you almost can't stop them. Yeah. Um, there's almost nothing you can do to stop them and that—that that is what we're so scared of but yet we never really had a Marshall plan for the Soviet Union at the end of the Cold War we never really did know what to do with all of these missile gap madness that went through in the 50s this this massive build i mean no one thought it was going to happen
3: uh, no one thought that the soviet union was going to end that's why everybody freaked out when the you know when the berlin wall fell and then it later on echoed out into the rest of of is
2: isn't that isn't that what we can call poor fucking planning like uh, we uh, the the so the gate plan a is a nuclear annihilation somewhere maybe plan f was mm-hmm. maybe it'll collapse under its own weight. You know, like I can't believe that we didn't anyway. And, and we we economically we sanctioned the fuck out of the Soviet Union. So we knew that we were gonna try to strangle it strangle them into irrelevance. Yeah. But yet we just let them continue to build up these nukes and then when it happens finally, we've got no plan to deal with these nukes. It's well, fucking crazy. And, and
1: yeah, it's just And again, like the uh the joke near the end of this film about the mineshaft gap, uh this was concurrent with this, but like uh, every single thing was largely, not just the nuclear thing, but like every conflict in Vietnam or Korea or or the space race was a little bit of a dick measuring contest between these two states to figure out who gives a fuck ultimately who goes to space first. Like in the long term... It doesn't fucking matter. Yeah,
3: I certainly wonder if uh, if Mindshaft was a double entendre, due to the fact oh, that they I, had the the uh, I, uh, German scientist there going Mineshaft.
2: Anyway, <laughs> keep, keep going, Russell. <laughs> well, that that kind of piggybacks exactly what I was because I had always I read somewhere that like Doctor Strangeoff has a lot of sexual innuendo and and double entendres in that. And you know, it's been a minute since they've seen it, so I actually watched it with that in mind. And boy, it's fucking true. Mm-hmm. Um, there is, you know, it, it is only when the Doctor Strangelove brings the ten to one ratio of men to women does the president and George C. Scott sort of shift in their seats. Oh, that's interesting. You know, like at first it's kind of like, well, okay, that's crazy, and then the oh my now now this whole notion of uh of traditional monogamy is uh gonna have to be a uh, be sacrificed right as if men were monogamous in the fucking early 60s um you know like it's it's it hilarious i mean it's an end climax the orgasmic release of nuclear bombs at the end it's brilliant yeah, yeah. Appar- apparently kubrick himself said oh yeah that was that was totally intentional i meant to even president muffler or whatever is meant to be like you know the, the, of the a term, woman.
1: <clears throat> gotcha. Yeah, yeah, there were a um, lot of names that I feel like are very uh, sexually suggestive. Yeah.
3: One uh, one thing, I, I double checked it real quick, and you were correct. This was actually James Earl Jones' debut film. Uh, everything before then Fantastic. was him doing theater work. So you get a point, buddy. Hey. Because I didn't right. know better.
2: Uh, that's right. Alrighty. He t- look at that. Two points in one episode.
3: Yeah. My my. Uh, Point giving heart grew mm-hmm. two sizes.
2: Both, but yeah, right. And all we had to do is bring up James Earl Jones and, and shame me at the front. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> 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 um, but Bor, if I wanted to ask you, I, I, you know, we call this movie a comedy. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's not a lot of gags in this movie in fact Mo, the bulk of the dialogue of this movie is like airplane jargon right or like military kind of code word of like yeah. you know open pop name, you know that kind of stuff how hard would you figure to edit the comedic timing of a couple of the jokes given the sort of shall we I mean it, it, they didn't really get the blessing of the pentagon so I don't know how technically correct all of the jargon is but to kind of edit a comedy that's a, the glut of it is mainly just airplane jargon um
3: the thing is is most of those sequences are handled in a way that it becomes clear that it's just uh, nonsense chatter like people are doing things sure. but then when they're doing it they're usually amp- they're usually doing extra bits like even when they're doing nonsense jargon they're doing visual gags so it's like do you have the three codes we have the three codes have you locked in the three codes we've locked in the three codes and when he's saying it he's always like there's always a hand flipping a switch and it just turns mm-hmm. into ridiculous like why would they need switches on everything there's- There's plenty of visual gags.
1: The the airplane has about 50 billion meters on the front of the Mm -hmm. airplane that are like, there's no way that's accurate to how airplanes worked. Mm -hmm. But there's like four rows of 12 separate meters showing different statistics. Mm -hmm. And and there's, there's some gags in here that are downright goofy. Like there's a scene where the guy needs more money to call the president through a The loan. White House won't mm-hmm. take a collect call. <laughs> so, he sh- so he has the guy who has him at gunpoint shoot the Coke machine, saying, if you're wrong, you're going to have to answer to the Coca-Cola Corporation. And that scene ends with probably the most old-timey gag in the entire movie, him getting sprayed in the face with Coca-Cola with, like, a fade cut. Mm-hmm. Such an old-fashioned mm-hmm. shot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah.
3: Well, they have a lot of that in this where it's like... Um, they have things that kind of harken back to time periods where it would be silent films so like in the very end of it when slim pickens is wandering through the uh airplane and he's like he's hunkered down and he's trying to find where the problem is for the bombs not dropping they do an abrupt like whip pan at the end of that shot where they zoom out and you see oh it's the spot above the bomb that has a bunch of wires hanging out and sparks and stuff falling down he would have been able to hear it and it would have been obvious but For us as the audience it is a visual reveal because we didn't know that's what the problem was and then that introduces like oh he's then got to get on top of the bomb and then it sets up the rest of the gag but i would say this one's like uh was one of the most surprising parts of this for me was the fact that it was really funny like a lot of the visual gags and how it was handled um were wonderful and i think it must have just been the fact that stanley kubrick is like a visual thinker that he was able to adapt communicating either something super serious or something super funny in the same way. I only feel bad that he never really returned to doing any comedy like this, except for um, in 2001, there's a scene that always makes me laugh where someone's looking at how the bathroom is supposed to work in a spaceship, and they're having to read it while needing to go to the bathroom. So that's always been funny to me.
2: But it's stuff Fred like Kaplan. that. Where yeah. Fred Kaplan of Slate has long purported, and I don't think he came up with this theory, that 2001 is in fact a comedy um i i haven't seen it in some time and it's well, a chore movie to sit through but it's okay um, we don't we don't
3: I, need to totally I, get off on 2001 but yeah it's it's right. a it's an interesting thing it's very strange because it it is a very straight movie to a large degree as far as like as dr strangelove like they don't really key you into the fact it's a comedy like that's one of the reasons why it being black and white was so strange because it's extremely grainy it looks like a documentary um you know, they consistently have like attractive women in it, right. which is the only weird thing that kept popping out to me. But you, as you said, it was like right. a sexual innuendo thing.
2: You know, because Peter Sellers being the main draw of the movie, you know, up until pretty much the last 20 minutes, his funniest character, outside of just being him reacting to the ridiculousness of the Russian premiere as president, uh, is Dr. Strangelove. Both Mandrake and the president are very straight. They're like Mandrake is basically just, you could tell Peter Sellers had to answer this guy when he served in the RF. Oh, hello. You know, because officers in England, they, you know, they're pretty much bred into it. They're like eaten boy, like, oh, Mm -hmm. hello. You know, um, (laughs) so, but, and even that, that's not a cue into the comedy. And then you see Dr. Strangelove and and it's kind of funny you brought up the silent film because like the way he gestates and gyrates in his chair and this arm attacks him and everything that's that's kind mm-hmm. of more or less a silent kind of film bit um so yeah i mean like that's kubrick kind of visualizing it and and again not with peter sellers necessarily but being there to film peter sellers as many times as you can in one take um mm-hmm. yeah
1: and it again doesn't with a custard yeah, pie, that's pie. Right. So,
3: yeah.
1: or the original <laughs> yeah, version right. date. So. Uh, yeah.
3: one thing I wanted to say real quick. Uh, I know we're getting up to like an hour here, but um, I got to go to the Kubrick exhibit, and one of the funnier parts of that exhibit was the Dr. Strangelove section, where they had uh, hate mail that um, Stanley Kubrick received that he sometimes responded to. Um, And they had the letters he got and the responses he gave. And some of the ones that were really funny was he got one from a minister who was lambasting him because of the amoral nature of Dr. Strangelove. And the funniest (laughs) part of that is that it was a very long, very carefully written um, critique, except for the fact that the guy had never seen the movie, didn't know what he was talking about. Like, he he was he went to a great deal of time to say this is amoral, I think these things are bad about it, but he'd never seen it, had no idea what the film was actually about. I think he thought it was just going to be a sex comedy.
2: But yeah. And he was disappointed as a minister. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a Monty Python sketch, if I've ever heard it. <laughs> some, some vicar is upset that this comedy ended up being a political black comedy. I offended. We have a guest with us here on The Movie Trap. Uh, it is somebody who has not seen the film before, unlike the three of your stalwart co-hosts who have seen the movie many times. We have a first-timer trapped with us in The Movie Trap. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Shannon Camp.
0: Hi, I'm so happy to be here with just one earbud in my ear. I feel like I'm Major <laughs> Kong up in the plane, getting transmission. Ah! So in character. Just get the
2: right, get mm-hmm. the right three-word three-letter prefix uh, to join in the movie trap. So Shannon, you have never seen this film.
0: No, I hadn't, um, but obviously being a person who lives in the world, I was familiar with certain lines and sequences, Um, in particular the screams that Kong does as he's riding the bomb, I feel like are like a really memorable sound cue, mm-hmm. so it was so cool to see and hear those things in the proper context. Uh, I actually saw they had like a rocket and backdrop set up at the Alamo Draft House in 2014, but I was too self-conscious to get someone to take a picture of me out of it. So, cool story. Yeah. Um,
1: <laughs> I suppose that's most uh, possibly the only other thing that might come close is like the line. You can't fight in here. This is the war room. I think otherwise, mm-hmm. that's probably the most sure. famous.
4: Yeah,
0: yeah I, I didn't I, this know one that one. Has but it been, was like, yeah. Um, yeah. it's I gotta been named say, a a, there are
3: a lot of gifts of this movie yeah. everywhere. Mm.
0: Yeah, I actually know someone who used Dr. Strangelove as their profile pick for like years, which. When you remember that he's a former Nazi is all is a little weird, but it's a great (laughs) performance. Um, I was going to say I've seen like a lot of hay made over, you know, this pandemic time over like losing the movie theater experience. And, oh, we can't see Wonder Woman 1984 in theaters. Oh, we can't see the live action Mulan in theaters. And uh, this movie was actually the movie way more so than anything like that, that made me miss the theater going experience, made me miss going to uh, our favorite revival theater here in Chicago, The Music Box, which is amazing. If you're in Chicago, definitely go. I've I've always wanted to do that one.
3: I, when I was yeah, I uh, when I was in like college in like Chicago, I always wanted to go to that one and never got a chance. I'm so jealous of you guys for oh, going there when when the stuff
0: gorgeous ends. theater, um, amazing place to see classic movies. I think Zach got to see Sunset Boulevard for the first time uh, on the big screen there, which is amazing. Um, a movie like this, there's something about black and white movies. They just really like. I just needed the big screen experience for this one. I really felt like I was missing out, especially in those big, gorgeous shots of the war room and the war room lighting. I was like, "Oh, this is killing me." Yeah, um,
2: Kubrick films are great for a big, encompassing image. I mean, he shoots super, super wide, and you know, it's it's nice to be. I've never I've never seen this movie in the theater, but I can only imagine you know seeing this in a big thirty five millimeter print of how big that. War Room is and, and and the black and white adds to that kind of starkness it's, it kind of looks I mean I know they kind of cribbed off of Metropolis a little bit for the set design it looks fucking great.
1: And again we were talking about how the original version of this movie ended with a custard pie fight. Apparently like people were swinging on those lights that were hanging down in the original ending
0: Zach is getting wow. way ahead of me. There's so <laughs> many things I want to say
4: but I was going to say
0: um, as we all know most white men look exactly the same so another hard part of not seeing this on the big screen was i felt like it would have been a lot easier for me to start telling characters apart if it were on the big screen and the black and white may have contributed to that i also just have bad eyes so maybe just take this with a mm. grain of salt but Zach had to tell me that Peter Sellers was playing the president obviously <laughs> I knew he was playing uh, Mandrake and Dr. Strangelove but I was shocked that fake head they put around his head mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. a masterpiece yeah Yeah, but the thing I really wanted to talk about, which may not matter to anyone else but me, and I'm fine with that, I'm really okay with that, (laughs) um, is the custard pie fight from the end of the movie. So, there's an iconic, crazy movie from the 70s called Bugsy Malone that Mm, I grew up with. Are you guys familiar with Bugsy Malone?
2: Yes, Yes. I am. Yes. Yes
0: okay so in Bugsy Malone the guns that the kids murder each other with shoot like a whipped cream custard pie filling and the movie ends with a giant custard pie battle and so I was reading this trivia about Dr. Strangelove to Zach while we were reading the movie and I was like did did the children's 1930s pretend speakeasy musical cop the ending of Stanley Kubrick's Doctor Strangelove? I'm completely obsessed. I need a whole podcast mini series deep dive on how this came to be.
3: I gotta, I gotta be honest. I had no memories of Bugsy Malone, so I'm gonna give Shannon my uh, third point. Uh, That's what's gonna happen, guys.
4: Bonus okay, you know, <laughs> <laughs> not... point. Celebration. Uh, da, 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 okay, da. You know, you know, I'm you sorry, know the
3: best.
1: She has not seen the other two movies, so I don't. Yeah, but have, you know, you, you know,
3: you know the best part of giving out that point hate was the other fact two
1: movies, so she could just give it to Doctor Strange. That's so rude. How
0: do you know I would hate them? I love the Death of Stalin, and this was exactly like the Death of Stalin.
1: Dead yeah, ringer is an enemy, or not? Dead, like, enemy, especially. I, I, I
3: feel. Was... I feel like I'm the winner today, regardless of how badly I lose, because I got to make Zach look very angry <laughs> that I broke the rules by giving my point out to someone who
2: wasn't Isn't
4: directly in the voting the committee. Yes, I mean I
2: think I know what's going to win anyway, so I don't think it's going to matter. <laughs> but still. But I, I don't know what you mean Zach I don't know what you mean
4: um, I also I, came
0: on the show to make my voice heard and demand representation for the significant others of movie trap we will have well, justice I don't know if
1: We've d- discussed and this. no
0: matter what theme you choose I'm gonna pick Bugsy Malone so choose <laughs> fucking wisely
1: uh, I don't know if we discussed this I love it one of my ideas was to have a theme where, instead of us picking the movies, each of our significant others picks the movie for that round. Shannon wanted sure. us to do it for the Valentine's Day period, but uh, see I don't know
2: my, my sh- wife picking the movie. I just call that a weekend. Yeah. That's she's she's the boss around these parts. Well, um, Zach
0: made me watch Wall-E, so I'm out for blood, uh, okay. baby. Uh, that's right.
3: Yeah. That's I made right. you
1: watch <laughs> a great movie
3: made you watch WALL-E? WALL-E's a good into this movie! Again. Okay. It was
0: great! Okay. It was great, but I told Zach I didn't want to cry, and then he made me cry oh. for 90 minutes.
2: Yeah, that's a movie that... Uh, yeah. I said, I'm sure yeah. it's
0: great, but I'm not in the mood to get emotional tonight, yeah. and... That's okay. Then things unfolded.
2: <laughs> Sarah will never forgive me when I told her that the end of The Prisoner will make sense. <clears throat>
0: I don't know what that movie oh, is. It's, so it's, it's, so it's a TV show from the
2: sixties. It's yeah. It's, this is this is
3: this is a and, uh, long. This is a long con. Uh, we thought it was funny. We thought it was a good show. Uh, probably should have warned Sarah that the ending is going to be a little less than satisfying. <laughs> uh, yeah, going into that thinking well, that they would somehow tie a bow on that one was. Whew, that would oh, be. A so rough it's like a community
0: joke where they all commit suicide at the end of. The British series. I love British TV. That would actually be way more in my wheelhouse than Dr. Strangelove. And I wanted to say, this is one of three acceptable movies with an all-male cast now, uh, being John Carpenter's The Thing, 12 Angry Men, and this. End of list. And the secretary does not fucking count. So commenters, do not bring her up.
2: No, no. In fact, I think the fact that it is all-male... Is inherent to the comedy, the sex feeling. I think that's yeah. part
0: of the point. Whole, of the point. Women well, didn't do this. Right. I'm totally okay with them making that point. <laughs> right. But I just wanted to say, um that it's rare to find a movie, period, with an all-gender cast one way or the other. Uh and the thing is like really one of my favorite movies. It's the favorite movie It's my favorite movie Zach has ever showed me, I think. Uh, because it's one of his favorites, and he like played it for me early in our relationship and uh i had an old movie dad who made me watch 12 angry men and it's very nice. this is quite a prestigious list to be joining so congrats mm-hmm. to sure. dr strangelove
2: <laughs> yeah and, and definitely a different tone too i mean because yeah the whole point is like the cold war is this masturbatory you know penis envy thing yeah, you know like, I mean, so it's a it has to movie. be male one of the characters yeah. oh, is yeah.
1: named General Turgidson.
0: Oh, you got muffly too. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if, if I remember anything from high school, muff means pussy. Um. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I was also going to say. Uh, not 100% of the humor of the movie clicked with me because I just—I don't think I'm as knowledgeable about the Cold War as I maybe should have been going into this. But all day I've been thinking of the Mein Fuhrer, I can walk line and laughing to myself. Not a great line to say out loud to yourself. So yeah. just got to keep that one locked down.
2: Hey, constantly referring yeah. to the president as mind fear. And- <laughs> yeah,
3: it's,
0: That's it's some, one of those films that uh, <laughs> <he> explodes out. <laughs> yeah, it's it's funny.
3: It's one of those things where there are certain like references that are funny, but you can't say them to common everybody it would get you in trouble pretty quick like yelling mine fewer they would probably react to that um the ending was always that particular moment at the ending always hit me as so strange because it's such a non sequitur in context with everything else happening because it's like completely out of left field and you're left with the bombs going off and just going wait what the fuck and then Uh, wondering what happened
0: I'd say that part of it felt really modern to me. It was like almost Mm -hmm. modern, absurd comedy like you would see in Mm -hmm. Tim Robinson or Eric Andre's stuff. And I think that part of the thing
1: is with Dr. Strangelove being clearly still an indoctrinated Nazi uh, against Mm -hmm. um, the Soviet Union being kind of the enemy of America in this film, even though fairly recently, World War II, we were on the same side, it's just a referendum on, you know, it's less about ideology and more about this, like, sense of ego and I guess yeah. dick swinging that these yeah. people have. Well, yeah, it was also, and, but it is also, also a direct a true...
2: commentary. Yeah, yeah, because we hired a lot of the Nazi rocket
4: of course, scientists yeah. before yeah, those movies. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, Ron flip, Ron yeah. Ron and all that.
2: Yep, yep. Yeah, so yeah. I mean, and, and I don't know how many people in the early sixties knew that um, that these. These great rocket scientists were former Nazis. Um, but the 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 overall joke that Dr. Strangelove is, is he's in between the Soviet and the United States. And so he's finally getting his chance to indoctrinate both sides into this very regimented future of strict regulation of things like genetics you know, and behavior and how many women to every man sort of thing. This, you another know.
0: scene with pervasive misogyny. Oh, no, even doing mm-hmm. the OK Handsome will mean something now. Uh, that's not what I meant. I just meant, <laughs> yes, I recognize the pervasive misogyny. Um, I'm about to hop off so you guys can do your thing. But I will say, I didn't sure. grow up with Pink Panther. And I think this movie made me really, like, get... Peter Sellers you know what I mean like amazing Hmm. performance obviously I'm sure you guys spent the whole previous time talking about that but (laughs) just had to leave it with that as someone who really didn't know him that well from other characters and never really understood why he was such an indelible comedic icon this movie like really got that message across very strongly
1: that's interesting one day we might watch being there which maybe you'll like
2: yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> Anything I, I, is
2: possible. Yeah. Pink Panther. Pink Panther's a very different sort of bag of worms to dig into uh, because it it's Blake Edwards and a kind of hey, weird story. Because the first one, Cluso's not really barely in it. You know, anyway, doesn't matter.
3: Well, I mean, the thing is, Peter right. Sellers uh, like more in all of his bits. in 1992 yeah. I
0: don't fucking know. Right.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Um. (laughs)
0: We'll
1: let her go. Uh, Thank you for joining us, Shannon. Thank you for joining us, Shannon. I will Uh, be
0: back and be watching Bugsy Malone. (laughs) Cool.
2: (laughs) It is now time to vote. It is the moment we've all been waiting for. Okay. Um. so So quick rundown. Uh. As of now. There are, how this voting is going to work is that each one of us has a allotted amount of points that we divvy out to each movie. Whoever has the most wins. At this point, do with all the bonus points counting, each one of us has 12 points to divvy up to each, each movie.
1: Each 12. Okay, so equilibrium. Yep. Uh, Shannon has one. If there's a... <laughs> Tiebreaker,
2: if, she's our... If there's a tie, <laughs> I'm
1: going to go ahead and assume that goes to Dr. Strangelove because, I'm going to be honest with you, it ain't going to go to enemy and it's not going to go to the one where the guy creates, like, gynecological torture instruments? I yeah. doubt... I don't yeah. think that's gonna it. be...
3: You don't think Shannon would pick that one as her favorite?
2: No, I don't think she'd pick either of those two as her favorite. So if there's and a tie... you don't think she'd pick the movie where women are spiders and meant to def- uh, Anyway. I mean, you get so she much, much Gyllenhaal, was about two
3: of them. Yeah, I don't know.
2: But, here we go! <laughs> Let's right. go ahead and start this <laughs> countdown. down. So, so, starting with Dead ringers in alphabetical order. We will start with Chris Borif. What do you got for Dead, dead ringer? ringers? I
3: give a four. That is a four for Dead ringers. I have two
2: points for Dead ringer. I think I will give it four. Okay, so that brings the grand total to a ten, even on Dead ringer. So the next one, Enemy. Borif's pick. Borif, what do you give Enemy? I give enemy a three. I give an enemy a goddamn thing.
4: That's
2: <laughs> hey, wow. waste of my goddamn time. That's a that's a first.
4: Waste of, that is a first. Waste I of
1: think.
2: waste of my time. I don't think that's the worst movie we've watched either, but that no, is a first. No, no, yeah. no. It's not even that deep hurting. It's competently made. I just fucking hated watching it.
1: Uh, the same guy. The same guy made Arrival, which I love. So, yeah,
2: mm-hmm. you know, I, I, he's competent in filmmaking. It just sucked.
1: Not his best. I agree. Uh, so for enemy, I'm going to go ahead and give it, I'm going to give it a two. Just a, a simple two.
2: Five points. Okay. Well, now I think we know who's going to win this one pretty handedly. Uh, Strangelove, what do you got for me? I'm giving it a six. Six points. Favorite of Boris, no surprise here. Uh, Carlson is going to give Dr. Strangelove a whopping 10 points I am going to also give Dr.
1: Strangelove a 6 I think the difference between this and Dead Ringers is smaller than for the rest of you guys because I do have a lot of affection for Dead Ringers but it's still a better movie Um, so there you have it
2: I got to admit I mean I kind of trapped you with Dr. Strangelove I mean when you left it on the table I had to take it and mainly because I haven't won uh, before so yay go me um. So, now, gentlemen, this is the moment I have been waiting for. Because <laughs> now, now I'm really going to trap you. <laughs> this time, I think we've been a little too vague with our themes. This time, I'm going to trap us into a single director. I am going to trap us in the films of Sam Peckinpah. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. And I'm going to do even worse and here's here's the kicker i'm gonna take the best movie off the board right off the way because my choice is going to be the wild bunch good luck everybody all right so you're just gonna now
1: so what you're doing now is you're setting up a scheme where you cheat every time (laughs) by creating an extremely narrow category
2: not every time.
1: And then you're going to, at the start of each narrow category, pick the obvious best one. So you always win. Till I'm, time I'm, 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 I'm going to point out we should have had a You're fail-safe. the Republicans of this podcast. <laughs> you're the Republicans
3: <laughs> of this podcast. <laughs> We should have had a fail-safe. We needed to be able to pick to... out the movie automatically. This is too big of a choice for any human being to make. We should have <laughs> picked the, pel- the film out of Sam Peckinpah automatically. But okay, yeah, I'll... Uh, um, I, I have one in mind I already. I know the one pick. that I probably want to do.
2: Okay.
1: Well, I'll okay. have to do some research because I'm going to be honest, Peckinpah is not my wheelhouse
2: very much. You, so. It's not really mine either. It's why I kind of picked it because I'm not... Terribly familiar with the films of Sam Peckinpah. I've seen,
1: I've seen two total Peckinpah
2: movies, so well, we're gonna add at least one to that total, there, big guy. Um, so yeah, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Suck my Peckinpah, bitch. That's 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 the theme. Is Sam <laughs> Peckinpah? Not not wow. not written by Peckinpah because you can. I, I'll if you. I'll I'll take maybe movies written by Peckinpah, but they mainly are remakes. I think. Um... So, you know, good luck with that, gentlemen. And yeah, that is, this is the Russell Carlson movie trap for sure.
3: <laughs> there's plenty in there to work with. I think we still, I think there's, I think there is a wild wheeling dervish somewhere in his film archive that we'll find that's a little bit more fun for us to watch. I bet and,
2: and if I can work it out, my, I uh, I'm not like I said. I don't. I'm not terribly well learned on Peckinpah. And and I'm not the, the. So I'm not really a big fan. But my twin brother very much is. So mm-hmm. if I can, I'm going to arrange it for him to kind of jump on some of these things because he's more of a Peckinpah fan than I am, and he knows a lot more about it. So if I can, I'll I'll rope him into this I don't have to trap him to watch Peckinpah.
1: Well, I have the pleasant task of telling. Uh, this episode's guest, Shannon Camp, that we have three movies she's probably not going to want to watch. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I, like, literally, there's, I've seen two, and there's another one that I've heard is very good that I've never seen. So, so I here's got the my, question. my pick
3: Who yeah. goes second? How do we know who goes second and third?
1: I go second.
3: Yeah. Oh, okay. Is that because you got the second most points?
1: Alphabetical. <laughs> it's always been the same. But I'm if I should be first. Russell, what follows R in the alphabet? What follows R? It's not K. It's not K, is it? <laughs> well, I understand now.
3: I understand now. It's wherever the fact- alphabet starts is when it becomes alphabetical. I understand okay.
1: now. Ooh. Or if you want to go by the metric of who got the second most points, still me. <laughs> That's also true. That is also
2: true. But Or if it's not like we don't do this every episode.
3: We do this every episode, yes. One day we, we do will do learn every how the language I and it. the alphabet works. I baby. doubt it.
2: Doubt. Um... Well, cool. This has been a fun, supersized episode of uh, the movie Trap. Uh, thank you yep. very much to Shannon Camp for joining us and Zach yep. for uh, for inviting her on. It was yep. fun. And everybody get hyped for our
1: next three movies after which Russell will win and say like John Cassavetes is the next fucking band. Nah, this
2: gonna nah. Take. This, is that, I, this is just vengeance for, uh, for for Border and barely losing the political thriller one. So oh, okay. I'm done. I'm, this a ca- be I'm a every time. I'm
1: a bystander more than a... <laughs>
2: That's true. Hey, look. It, it, look. Look. Look, you're talking to 20 million versus <laughs> and sir. Just think of the casualty difference. We can't let Borov B- 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 have the casualty gap here.
1: No, this is good. Yeah. I, I should I should expand my my, my wheelhouse with this particular... Besides <laughs> The Wild Bunch, the only other Peck Peckinpah movie I'm familiar with uh, involves some on-screen rape, and I am not going <laughs> to pick that.
2: Uh, well, Straw dogs. I, I know what yeah. movie you're talking about. Um, yeah. There's also a movie with Bob Dylan. <clears throat> anyway. No. Um... Uh, all right, well, I guess uh, that wraps us up for uh, for both the theme and episode. Yeah.
1: So this has been uh, The Movie Trap. I have, uh, as always, have been Zach Powers, and I have been joined by Chris Boref.
3: Via Condios, take care of yourselves and each other.
1: And Russell Carlson.
2: Uh, thanks for listening. Say goodnight, Gracie.
1: Yeah, uh, and to all of our listeners, we'll meet again, don't know where, don't know when but I know we'll meet again some sunny day.
4: Mandrake, do you recall what Clemenceau once said about war?
2: Uh, no, I didn't think I knew sir, that, yeah. He said war was too important to be left to the generals. When he said that, 50 years ago, he might have been right. But today, war is too important to be left to politicians. They have neither the time, the training, nor the inclination for strategic thought. I can no longer sit back and allow communist infiltration, communist indoctrination, communist subversion, and the international communist conspiracy to
4: sap and impurify... All of our precious bodily fluids.